This podcast number 829 with Pilar Gazermo is brought to you by Jeannie Lee, the author of a new book entitled Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. Jeannie's new book gives you an opportunity to contemplate and take a deep dive into what's important in your life. While deep contemplative thinking and meditating on our issues is something we should be doing more often. It seems as if the COVID pandemic has put more fear in our lives and we are spending less time doing what is imperative to building resiliency and changing our beliefs and actions that are not serving us. If you want to learn more about Jeannie Lee and her new book, please visit the website at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-I-E-L-E-E, yogatherapy.com. You will also find a free excerpt of her book there. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to this interview with Pilar Gazermo about her new book entitled The Healthy Deviant. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have a longtime friend that's joining me from Wisconsin. Where in Wisconsin, Pilar, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I consider it the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, but it's actually about an hour straight east from Minneapolis, St. Paul. Okay. Well, she said it's the middle of nowhere. A lot of times people say that she lives in a certain city called X. It's not the middle of nowhere, but you can see it from there. That's what you can. You, you can see the middle of nowhere from there. From my um, porch. Yeah. But we go back to the Experience Life magazine days where she was the award-winning health journalist and founding editor of Experience Life magazine uh, for all of my listeners. Um, she is definitely a health advocate for people. She's also co-hosted with the Whole30 founder, Dallas Hartwig. Uh, of top-rated podcast, The Living Experiment. Um, Pilar has served as the top health editor for Huffington Post, the chief creative officer at Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and as a strategic advisor for Brian Johnson's Optimize Enterprises. Um, She lectures at universities and leads workshops at retreat centers, uh, Omega Institute, Sundance, and so on, Rancho La Puerta, which Mm. is like right here south of San Diego. I know the lady who founded it. Uh, She's appeared as expert guest on Oz and Oprah and Friends Radio, CBS, NBC, CBS Television Affiliates, Mayo Clinic TV, and the list goes on. And if you want to learn more about Pilar, you can go to her website. She said, make sure to send everybody to Healthy Deviant. That's what you're seeing on the screen here. And I think you ought to see the lovely book instead of the black and gray one, because the book is beautiful and it's beautifully well done. I mean, it is exceptionally well done for people that really want to change their health and know why they haven't been getting where they would like to go based on the way they were living their life before. Mm -hmm. So Pilar, let me kind of start with this, you know, um, you state that less than 3% of the U.S. adults are healthy, happy, and on track to stay that way. Um, you mentioned that if we want to be one of the few to beat the unhealthy odds, um, that we need to buck a lot of society's norms and reject a lot of the conventional health prescriptions. What new mental mindset models do our listeners need to adopt to buck what we're being advised to do for our health today? 
<laughs> well, I'm going to start with a more general um, perspective, which is I really think we have to shift from feeling like our health problems are just our personal health problems to understanding that they are widely shared by the vast majority of other people. You know, that number that you um, stated, the 97.3% of U.S. adults who are not currently practicing healthy habits, it's not because 97.3% of adults are dumb or lazy or lack discipline, it's because our society has made it so hard to make healthy choices and so tempting and easy to make unhealthy ones that making healthy choices means you have to go against incredible uh, pressures, social norms and expectations. But somehow we're always encouraged to see it as our personal failing. If we're gaining weight or not feeling like we have enough energy or we start having symptoms like rashes and digestive trouble and joint pain and migraines, this is somehow like unique to us when the truth is almost everyone around us is suffering from one or more pretty significant symptoms of degraded health. And again, that perspective of it's all about me and my problems rather than, hey, this is a pretty predictable result of living in an unhealthy society. How do I begin intervening at that level? And a lot of what I write about in my book and talk about in my podcast, The Living Experiment, is all about how you can experiment away from the unhealthy defaults of our society so that you can beat those unhealthy odds and be one of the two or three percent that is maybe doing okay or better than okay, ideally really achieving an optimal level of health and well-being. Well, you have different language that you use that people need to kind of adopt to, and we're going to get into that. Um, but you speak about the science behind healthy, deviant lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were to synthesize your findings, what would you kind of tell our listeners? Because there's so much going on in this book. Okay, it's 300 something pages. I don't want to scare my listeners from reading it, because it's got lots of graphs. It's got it's it's an opportunity to really just explore where your head is at with health. Yeah. Um, and I thought that this one was another great statistic. You know, 50% of U.S. adults are diagnosed with chronic illnesses. So we're talking diabetes and heart disease, and it, the list goes on and on and on. And then you give a list in the book, um, which is pretty interesting. You say 68% are overweight. Um, so what would you tell our listeners who are there to synthesize and find what, what can we, I wouldn't say do, but what can we become as a result of it? Well, I first want to acknowledge that it's really normal. (laughs) Again, I use the word with advisement, you know, that normal is not necessarily what I'm suggesting that we're aiming for, but it has become normal to be struggling. And so I start with that perspective because and this great place to land the image that you have here of this quote of our basic human needs are not being met during the course of what norm, what passes right now for our normal daily life. And I, the reason I want to begin with that is that the whole idea of healthy deviance is encouraging people to do things differently than the vast majority of people around them, even in the face of real obstacles. And now, how do you do that? Well, a lot of the science that I'm sharing is about the science of reclaiming your health and vitality and resilience and autonomy through, I think, techniques that are generally not as widely promoted as right. a lot of the diet and exercise routines that we're encouraged to embrace. The problem is that the science is clear on a few points. One is that every effort that we make to 
control our, our so-called willpower ends up depleting some of our ability to exert it elsewhere. And it's kind of like our attention can only be so many places at one time. And what we get encouraged to do in this culture is take some of the hardest interventions, like changing your diet or changing your exercise routine, and put those first. So you've got a bunch of depleted, inflamed, exhausted people, again, by virtue of living in a society that makes it easier to be unhealthy than healthy. Most of us are running around pretty depleted most of the time. And we say, okay, depleted, exhausted person, overwhelmed, distracted person, why don't you just layer on some more challenges, like going on an intensive diet or, or starting a very challenging new workout regimen? And as we're about to head into the new year, Greg, you know what's going to happen. A bunch of people are going to take on these diet and exercise routines, find themselves incapable of maintaining them, and then they're going to get down on themselves and feel incapable and less than and inadequate and judge themselves. And that is so demoralizing. It really leads to the cycle I call the vicious cycle of Mm -hmm. the unhealthy default reality. So. I just to go back to the science versus, versus the virtuous cycle, which is yes. what you're trying to get people to to understand here. Yeah, um, you know. But I want to answer the question that you asked about science because I think that so often what we're clobbered with is an argument of science that says, you know, one headline says eggs are bad for you, and another says they're good for you. This says it'll help you lose weight. That thing is going to make you gain weight, and it all argues with each other. The most the the, the science that I'm using um, in my book. Is it's pulling from places like evolutionary biology, positive psychology, functional medicine, to help people understand how their bodies and minds actually work, what resources are available to them, and how to safeguard those through scientifically proven and supported methodologies so that they are not at the mercy of the unhealthy society. It's about getting ahead of the damage that's done to us so we aren't so depleted. And then when we can take on more challenges little by little and win instead of constantly losing and feeling like there's no hope for us. I think more than anything, what I want to encourage people to do is to veer away from the the well-worn, well-trodden path, the path most often taken and most often failed at, which is beginning at the level of diet and exercise. I actually don't think that's the best place for a lot of people to start. And so, um, yeah, the science I'm pulling from, some of it is metabolic and physiological, some of it is psychological science, and some of it is just looking at the history of humanity and how our genes and our DNA basically is programmed to prefer certain kinds of food and rhythms of life and exercise and exposure to light. Once you actually understand how your body mind is programmed and wired up to work, you can get into agreement with it instead of fighting it all the time. And well, what I hear I, back from people who have read the book is good. Yeah, no, your this book is excellent. I, I, if there's one book I'm going to tell my listeners to read, it's going to be The Healthy Defiant because it isn't about dieting. It isn't about, it's about your mindset more than anything. It's about where you are. And you know, look, if you go back in history, people weren't wearing Fitbits. They didn't have Apple watches. They didn't have all these sensors all over their bodies measuring what they were doing every day and how many steps they took. Yet society has moved at such a high rapid pace with technology that our lifestyles have changed so drastically from people in the 20s. But they said, if you would look at a line of people in the 20s versus a line of people today lining up for something, right? Um, All you would see would be obese people today. In the 20s, you did not see obese people. Um, You know, so we do have an issue here with obesity 
um, inactivity, all of that. But I agree. You don't want to focus on that because that can be really depressing because how many more, uh, pardon me, gyms can I get or um, Pelotons or all of these things that I'm going to fill my house with now because I'm uh, you're COVID bound. So let me go back to that. Any person who is willingly defies unhealthy norms and conventions in order to achieve a higher level of vitality, resilience, and autonomy is your definition, right, of the healthy deviant. What are the subversive yet common sense premises that you'd like people to take away from the book? Mm. Well, okay, let's, let's at the level of subversive. Yeah. First of all, I think we have to recognize that most of what you'll do if you go on an automatic plan, you know, if you just go along with what other people are doing, you're going to get up in the first thing in the morning, what you're going to do is probably reach for a device, an electronic device of some kind. And so from the very moment you wake up, you're plugged into what I call the unhealthy default reality. And you're suddenly your attention is focused on all kinds of bad news and stressful alerts and urgent things that you have to do or respond to social media messages that immediately are telling you you're not good enough or you need to get some new thing to be good enough. Right. And right away, you have let your attention be hijacked. So that's a subversive thing to do is to take the first three minutes of your day before you plug into anything else and spend the first three minutes of your day doing something that actually appeals to you and just noticing where you're at and how deciding that day, how you want to move forward. I call it a renegade ritual. It's called the morning minutes practice. And it's one of three renegade rituals I suggest in my book. It seems like such a tiny thing, but Greg, I'll tell you people who try to do this, first of all, find it very challenging initially. They're so habituated to reaching for a device or looking at a computer or turning on the TV or the radio or the news or picking up a newspaper that reorienting their attention back toward their own personal experience and how they are in their body and mind that day is a revolutionary act. Mm -hmm. Give it a try sometime. If you are in the habit of doing it and you try to break that habit, you'll find out how ingrained and programmed that behavior is. So Subverting what I call the unhealthy default reality is often a matter of taking very small, tiny, what JB, uh, BJ Fogg at Stanford calls it, tiny steps. And they're not difficult. They're actually quite pleasurable and fun, unlike trying to go on a diet or dive into a heavy duty exercise routine. But what happens is that they gradually give your, they give you back to yourself. And when you start to experience like your own thoughts and feelings, you suddenly realize like, hey, if I can do this for three minutes, I can do it for 10. If I can do it for 10, I can maybe get through more of my day without getting all of myself hijacked by this mass society that's making most of my decisions for me right now. I mean, think about it. The next thing you do is you go to the coffee shop and you're confronted with pastries, chocolates, you know, highly caffeinated, highly sugared drinks. And you know, what are you thinking? You're thinking my life is hard. I might as well have something sweet to make it easier. Or, hey, everybody else is having a gigantic bagel or muffin. I should have one too. So again, you're going along with the flow. You get to work. You end up working all day, probably without a break, because you're determined to get more done and everyone else around you is working without a break. So again, subversive things to do might include taking breaks, eating whole foods, listening to when your body needs energy, eating only until you're actually full, but eating the whole huge portion you're given. Or worse, trying to control your portions and make them tiny, even though you're super hungry because you think that that's the virtuous thing to do. 
ultimately, I could walk you through an entire day in the life of a normal person and you'd be nodding and going, yeah, that's what normal people do. But that's what's making people sick and exhausted and inflamed. So each step of the way in my book, I describe opportunities that people have to intervene and interrupt that programming, that default automatic behavior, and make small-scale changes that ultimately shift, like you said, their mindset, their point of view, but more importantly, shift their relationship to the culture that they're living in and let them decide for themselves how they want to relate and show up to that culture. Like you said, we can't change the fact that like, what, what reality in the 1920s, very different than now. Yeah. But the reality of our hunter-gatherer ancestors from 2 million years ago or 10,000 or 15,000 years ago is even more vastly different. And we still have most of the same genetic programming as those hunter-gatherer ancestors. So, we do. Yeah, we I think do. intervening at that level is really important. It and is and to understand to that. That, you can, that you can do that. Now, yeah. you know, one of the things you talk about in the book, and we hear this all the time, you know, you don't have the willpower to change. Let's talk about the word willpower. You state that what looks like a problem of insufficient willpower is often a problem of chronic depletion and distractions. And boy, that that hits the nail on the head because mm-hmm. that is really the challenge today. Could you speak with the listeners about the depletion and distractions that are keeping us from adopting these new lifestyles, these new healthy lifestyles? Because look, you know, the cell phones here, the the computers there, there's stuff that's got to be done. We're all in this always on doing mode. Mm-hmm. And those are depleting us from our energy and our ability to do things that are good for us. Yes, that's right. Well, first, I want to address some interesting science on the nature of what's called ego depletion, which is the experience that we have as we're confronted with stresses or highly demanding um, tasks. And there's been a bunch of controversy in recent years about what prior to this has been like decades worth of very reliable data. I won't go into that controversy too much, except to say that I really do not believe that the more recent questioning of this data is based on anything terribly legitimate. I think it has to do with the way that they're doing the tests, namely as computerized models rather than real life tests. In real life, what reliably happens when we are exposed to a stress or a difficult task of some kind or asked to put a lot of focus on anything is we lose our ability to exert what is commonly known as willpower. So basically in the tests that they've done, they do things like they expose a group of people to a highly demanding mathematical test or a very stressful condition like having their hand in a bucket of ice water. And then they expose them to a temptation, like a plate of chocolate chip cookies that smells really good. And what they find out is that people who've been exposed to a stress are much less likely to be able to avoid an unhealthy temptation than people who have not been exposed to that stress or to that distraction. Distraction really is a form of stress. Trying to multitask, which we all know does not work, puts the body-mind into a very stressed-out state, and it's Mm -hmm. exhausting. Mm-hmm. Basically, what they show is the other way around. The same thing is true. If you've been trying to avoid temptation for a long period of time, you actually become more cognitively impaired. You're not able to function as well mentally and or physically. Things like eye-hand coordination starts to get reduced. So 
when you live in a society that is constantly exposing you to all of those distractions, multiple screens, beeps and buzzers and alarms going off, trying to do two or three things at once, or rapidly move back and forth between lots of things. And then you're also subjected to constant temptation, you know, the Cinnabon smell floating at you, the French fry smell, someone with a cart of donuts coming through, pizza being offered up free for lunch, soda machines everywhere. It's just overwhelming to the human system. And what happens is that we get degraded. So the, it's great, the, the chart that you have up here, this little illustration I made for my book to help people see how being confronted with automatic default choices, which are by their very nature going to be unhealthy in our society right. and stressful, leads you predictably to become overweight, to become inflamed, to have that pre-diabetic situation or having headaches or joint pain. And then what we do is we go from that problem to the prescribed solution. And in our society, that looks like diets and exercise and pills and powders and procedures. And when we hope that that's going to save us from ourselves, it doesn't, never works the way it's promised to work. And then we end up in that self-blame and shame and inadequacy spiral where we're like, what's wrong with me? How come I can't do this? Everyone on TV seems to be fine. <laughs> you know, That leads us into this state of chronic ego depletion and diminished capacity. So now we're in this kind of like half-masked state where we're just not even functioning as well as we might otherwise. It leads us to feel so much more vulnerable and desperate that we reach for the next quick fix solution or magic bullet. And that's really what leads us to this downward spiral toward what I call and psychologists call learned helplessness, which mm -hmm. is the very sad belief that you can't ever win. Yeah, like, no you matter won't what ever you change. Do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think for our listeners who are watching on YouTube video, because that's the only way you'd do this. Um, this is a great, when you buy the book, if you're not watching on video, go to page 57, because that's where this chart is we're talking about. And it is, it is an awesome way for you to understand what's going on. And um, I, that kind of leads me to this, you know, uh, books have a lot of things in them, but yours is so well organized. And so, and this is just a compliment. I get a lot of books in here but I don't see a lot of them that are as well done as this one. So this is one you guys want to have read, not just put on your bookshelf. Um, you have this great chart in the book on your tap chapter titled, titled the renegade solution. And you speak with us about the flow of this cycle that we were just talking about and to break the cycle. Yeah. What is it that we could do to break this and go to the virtuous cycle of healthy deviance versus yeah. the one that we just showed, which was the cycle that most of us probably are in, but we're saying, okay, Pilar, you're going to tell me what I can do now to get me out of this. How am I going to get out of this and get healthier? Yeah. Well, so I started by saying, you know, a lot of my book is about encouraging people to intervene at a different level rather than intervening at the level of their willpower and their personal failings, thinking of themselves as being flawed or inadequate. I encourage them to intervene at the level of their relationship to the unhealthy culture. So here in this cycle of virtuous cycle of healthy deviance, rather than being on automatic, which is where the vicious cycle begins, you begin with amplified awareness. 
And that is one of the three nonconformist competencies that I emphasize in the book. They're written, all of them, into this chart. But the first one, Amplified Awareness, is about waking up to the fact that you are living at the mercy of an unhealthy culture and that you do need to notice how you're being triggered by it and how you're being influenced by it. And then the next step is being willing to deviate. So I use willingness as an alternative to willpower. You know, willpower is a depletable resource. And we talked about this, like you get depleted and then you can't do it anymore. People just wear out and then they blame themselves. But with willingness, it's about being willing to start over. It's be about willing to notice what didn't go well. What happened when you set out to try to do something differently? Willingness is about an experimental mindset, which is really a lot of what Healthy Deviance is about. Experimenting with doing it differently than other people and also experimenting with doing it differently than you might have done it yesterday. What happens when you adopt that mindset is you begin having a more empowered set of perceptions and you begin seeing that you do have other choices. So for example, we talked about automatic is reaching for the phone and willingness to try something different, namely giving yourself a three minute um, choice moment between waking up and doing anything else, three minutes without devices and see how that goes. What's very interesting, back to the science, is if you do that, you're going to be embracing a very special brainwave state known as theta, T-H-E-T-A. Mm-hmm. And it's that only once in that day are you going to have those three or four minutes where you're cycling from your sleep state into your waking state. And it's an incredibly valuable brainwave state, very susceptible and vulnerable to outside influences, but also very impressionable in a good way. If you decide to set your goals and intentions for the day during that first three minutes before the world's agenda for you has come at you, you're going to have a very different experience. And when you do that, the next stage in this virtuous cycle is of preemptive repair and replenishment. That's the second of the nonconformist competencies I talk about in the book. And what I mean by that is just deciding to get a little bit ahead of the damage that's done to you by virtue of exposing yourself 24 hours a day, basically, to the unhealthy default reality. These little experiments, like what I call renegade rituals, are interventions that let you repair yourself before you become really vulnerable and reactive. When you do that, you now have expanding capacity and attention and resilience and vitality. And that allows you to begin making little by little incremental headway toward healthier choices, learning the skills you need to learn, trying out new ways of showing up, surrounding yourself with better influences and experimenting now we're over at, you know, the equivalent of nine o'clock on the cycle. But that experiment, I, mean, I said I have a podcast with my friend Dallas called The Living Experiment, which is all about every podcast episode, like think about it differently and then try to do something differently. We mm. always offer people an experiment. And this book is all of experiments. It because is. here's what you know from your own experience, I'm sure, Greg, it's like once you try something in real life, you get information back both about what worked and what didn't. And sometimes it's really surprising. Some of the renegade rituals, like I said, are three minutes long to 20 minutes long, but they radically shift people's ability to make different decisions for themselves. And at that point, what happens is you have this sense of, oh, I get to make up my own mind. 
I can do it differently than I've done it and different than other people are doing it. That's the increased agency and autonomy piece. Yeah. And from there, you're back into an amplified cycle. Now your awareness is bigger, you know, and your willingness is bigger. And you start to pick up steam. Instead of that learned helplessness cycle, you're in a cycle like flow, optimal experience of learning something new and meeting new challenges. And it's quite invigorating. Well, I think the thing about flow, and most importantly, is a time passes uh, without you really realizing it. You know, Stephen Kotler has been on this show probably six, eight times for the various books, but it always comes back to hacking flow. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's his term anyway. Uh, yeah. how, how do we hack flow? I don't know if you actually do hack flow. Mm. <clears throat> what I do know is through a practice of awareness, contemplation, meditation, um, those type of tools that are in your everybody's tool chest, you can slow down the speed and you can become very amplified aware. I mean, the, mm. whether it's mindfulness just expands astronomically when mm-hmm. you add a few little practices to this. And that kind of, I want it brings me to something that you've got here. Um, I picked this up because I think people are like, well, okay, Pilar, this weird symptom checklist, how do I, you know, how do I know what's going on? You know, some people, you know, there's been women who've been pregnant and didn't even know they were pregnant. Right. And it's like, how could you not know what your body is trying to tell you? Right. And you have this great weird symptoms checklist, which is up on, (laughs) it's actually two pages that I believe all of our listeners should review. And a reason they should review it is because I went through this checklist and I was like, wow, you know, a few of these things are happening to me, right? Yeah. And you state that the only way to cure the pissed off body syndrome is to figure out what is pissing the body off and stop doing it. So how could we use this checklist and what recommendations would you have for us to stop or eliminate some of these symptoms? Because I got to let my listeners know the checklist is long. It's two pages long. <laughs> okay. But what she asks in these boxes, uh, there were 42, actually. If you're checking any of them, you basically need to listen to what she's got to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason, so what I've got here is a kind of very, very simplified version of a checklist that a lot of functional medicine physicians and other professionals, practitioners use called a multi-symptom questionnaire. That's a much more extensive questionnaire but this is a simplified version. And what I've got here are some of the most commonly experienced chronic symptoms that people have when their bodies are out of balance, when they're dysregulated, when they're inflamed, when they're toxified, when they're undernourished and overstressed. And it shows up in different people different ways, but things like weight gain and loss those typically are symptoms. Unwanted weight gain or loss are usually symptoms of other things that are going on. You know, stresses in our lives that are, or lack of sleep, for example, things that are producing, uh, you know, uh, uncontrollable cravings that then lead us to gain weight. But the weight gain is really more a symptom. And the same thing is true of things like rashes or dark circles or most joint pain and headache pain. It's the way the body has us telling us, my needs are not being met right now. Something is either overwhelming or undernourishing me, and I need to be brought back into balance. But we live in a culture that has encouraged us to either ignore those signals or immediately medicate them to try to suppress the symptoms of them. Right. Not and look I, at the cause. 
right? Exactly. Because one of yours is small sore cysts or pimples at the base of the neck. And I know I have one right here this morning and it's, they always kind of happen around the jaw or down in here or whatever. And I was like, wow, there's a checklist for that. And I wonder, so what actually, (laughs) what actually is causing that or, you know, yes. I am 66 years old. So flaking skin, you know, you can guess, well, maybe it's not your age. You start to think about it. It doesn't have to be. None of that no, has you know, to it's, be. It's so funny that you should say that because I do think that a lot of what is, um, what passes for aging in our culture is really accumulated damage that has not been healed or the result of, you know, needed maintenance that has not Mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. Again, just the result of living in our unhealthy society, our basic needs are not being met. We're overdriving our capacity. So things like, you know, acne that shows up on the jawline, for example, is often a hormonal dysregulation, but that hormonal dysregulation we've been taught to think happens as the result of age or puberty, Sometimes it does. Those things are true, but it's there are a lot of stress and an imbalance in the diet can also produce hormonal dysregulation. If you aren't sleeping enough, your hormones will be dysregulated. If you're too stressed, you're going to be dysregulated. If you aren't getting enough of the right nutrients or too many of the wrong things in your diet, you're going to be inflamed and thus dysregulated. Uh-huh. Things like cysts at the back of your neck are often very associated with stress. Think about where your central nervous system goes, right? From your brain through your spinal cord and out to all of your nerves. Right. So when you're freaked out and tense, that's what happens. You get clogged up weird stuff there. Again, I'm not a physician. So all I've done here is gather up the best information I learned from being 25 years as a health journalist and going to a lot of functional medicine events and hanging out with a lot of functional medicine practitioners and writing about it. But basically what all of them agree on is that they're root causes for these conditions that we can address by shifting our lives, not just by medicating our symptoms. And what I want people to know is that what I'd like to have happen when people look at this list and go through and check them, is first of all, rather than getting freaked out and worried, they start to have compassion and concern for themselves and hear the cries for help that their bodies are sending them. I'll tell you, Greg, when I was in my early 30s and just starting Experience Life magazine, I had almost all of these problems. You know, I had all of the issues, the itchy throat and ears, which are really for me a sign of candida overgrowth and imbalance in my microbiome, all kinds of hormonal disruptions, uh, lots of mood problems and attention problems. And, you know, I love it that you're showing the Healthy Deviant Heroes journey, which is my way of describing what I think happens to most of us, which is- Well, that's my next question. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I'm showing it because it goes in line. I mean, if people- buy this book, uh, please buy the book. And, and and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this book has things in it that you've never heard about health before. You know, look, we, we've all gone out there, the whole 30 diet with your partner in the podcast. I get it. If you want to go paleo, great. We hear about paleo. We say, don't eat too many carbs, uh, <laughs> you know, quit all your sugar, do whatever you are. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to bring this all in balance and you're trying to tell people that it isn't about whether you are you're vegan or vegetarian or you're paleo or whatever you are, you are who you are really listen to your body mm. and listen. And I I love your reference here because um, Joseph Campbell and Alan Watts and all the people at Estelon were favorites of mine. As a matter of fact, George Leonard and I spent four hours in his living room interviewing him and he and Michael Murphy started Eswan. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at this, I see this stuff and I say, 
You reference what we refer to as the Healthy Defense Hero's Journey, the process you relate your own story to that of the Healthy Defense Hero's Journey. What are the seven acts here of this? And mm. what would you like to tell our listeners yeah. about their own story? Because look, we've all got our own stories. Yeah. <laughs> we've got our own stories. <laughs> we have our own individual stories. And yet, again, you know, one of the fundamental principles of this book is, is connecting the experience that we are all having so that we don't feel so alone with our health struggles. You know, I really want to help people see the bigger picture that took me decades to put together mm-hmm. outside of, you know, paleo or vegan or cholesterol or eggs or sugar or, you know, intermittent fasting and heart rate monitors, like making sense of all that and putting it into one coherent framework to understand why you might do or not do some of those things things was my goal. And the Healthy Deviant Heroes Journey model was really my way of making sense of what I think is a shared experience in our culture. Namely, we start out in phase one in our natural state. Most of us are lucky enough to be born into relatively healthy bodies or bodies that can be made to function well under the circumstances. And what happens is that we go from the state where we're basically okay to figuring out that, oh, I'm supposed to be some other way. Like I need to get with a program. I need to fit in with what everybody else is doing. Our parents enculturate us. We go to school and we get peer pressure. We watch television or look at magazines. The media forms our ideas of how we should be, what we should have. And then we begin complying. And in compliance, the second state, we try really hard to do what everyone thinks we need to do to be good. And that's when we go on diets or we start wanting to have the right clothes or the right stuff. And little by little, what happens is that we experience increasing stress and anxiety, depression, the peer pressure, the sense of not fitting in, not measuring up takes us down. And as we become again, more vulnerable and feel less than we often then end up with all kinds of behaviors like eating, overeating, drinking too much, buying and spending too much, being desperate for attention and looking for affection and intimacy in places that aren't very healthy. And those addictive imbalanced behaviors often take us into the next stage, which I call darkness. That's this place where life starts to feel very hard and you do start to feel that sense of learned helplessness, that everything I'm trying to do isn't working. In fact, it may be making it but worse, which was my experience. The more I went on diets, the more I tried like hardcore workout routines, the more I held myself up against the models that I was seeing in magazines, the worse I felt about myself. And at that point, some people hit bottom and they bounce. There are other people who sadly don't. They just stay in this terribly depressed, anxious state, and they don't know how to get themselves out of it. What I found is that typically the people who do come out of it eventually do so by either stumbling on a different way of showing up, having a good influence come into their life or entering a program that starts to work. Oftentimes people find their way through alternative or integrative medicine in um, yoga, things like that into a different way of showing up. And they begin to diverge. And divergence is the stage where you're like, oh, maybe I could do things differently. Hey, this seems to be working. Why did no one ever tell me this before? And then what happens, at least for me and a lot of the people I know, is we enter the phase of rebellion where we suddenly say, hey, why did no one tell me this before? I just spent 30 years of my life being miserable and sick and frustrated. Ah, we get mad. 
And then we often become extremists. And there's a phase that we pass through where people tend to boss other people around and like whatever's working for them is what other people should do. You see a lot of that in the kind of like all or nothing belief systems of raw or vegan or paleo and, you know, it's, it gets intense. Right. And I, I, but the problem with it is, is there are lots of problems with rebellion. It's sometimes a necessary phase to pass through, but it's not a phase that I found was a very gratifying phase long term. It took so much energy and it produces so much anger and frustration, which is toxic to the body too. So for me, the next phase that is really helpful to enter and the one I want to help people get to at their own pace and time is what I call healthy deviance, which is that willingness to do it differently while also safeguarding your own resilience and vitality and autonomy rather than falling into the us versus them dual binary thinking of good and bad. It's sort of accepting that being a healthy person in an unhealthy world is a little bit like learning a martial art, you know? There's some karate chops and jujitsu moves involved, but it's more about learning how to become strong enough that you have confidence you can get through anything, not about being in a fight all the time. And it's always something you can continue to get better at and learn. You become well, a that's, degree one. As, as you say, it depletes all of your energy to be in that rebellious state. Um, and there are alternative ways, and this book does actually point all those out. And I think what I would do is I would like to have you kind of wrap up the interview here with, um, you know, like three recommendations. You obviously have this 14 days in the book. We don't have time to do that. But what are the ways to break the cycle of unhealthy, unhealthy default realities? And how would you recommend people begin and sustain um a new lifestyle, a healthier mm. lifestyle. So if you were to give them three points, I know you've given them a lot through your charts and your graphs and, and all the pro- things in the book, uh, but what would be three simple things that you would want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, well, you know, what I'm going to offer are just the three renegade rituals that I have in the book. You can spend a lifetime mastering and integrating these, but you can also just start today doing, for example, the morning minutes practice, which is take Uh the first three minutes of your day just for you before you reach for screens or anything and see what happens when you just give yourself permission to do something you enjoy that's like low key instead. Like sometimes I just pet my dog and look out the window for the first time, get myself a cup of coffee, you know, and I just sit. Sometimes I meditate or do yoga, but I don't have to do it that way. And I think when people get out of this idea that it has to be this rigid practice, they wake up, unfortunately, people are like, oh, meditate in the morning. But when they wake up and they don't feel like meditating, they then just go straight to their phone. And I want to give people permission to do something that works better for them without feeling they have to do this rigid, you know, formal thing. So three minutes in the morning just for you, that's one thing. Another practice in the book is called, um, another renegade ritual is called Ultradian Rhythm Breaks. And I just put up a blog recently today. It's something through my Instagram. Um, but I've written a lot about this. Um, and there's a great episode of the podcast called Pause, which is all about this. It's just taking minutes, uh, 20 minutes every hour and a half to recover from the previous hour and a half worth of hardcore focus and effort. You know, a lot of people don't understand that the human body has a built-in rhythm of energy. Just like your heart beats and your eyes blink, your energy goes up and down. And you need to respect the down cycle as a period when your body is trying to replenish and repair itself so that you can come back up and have another 90 minutes of high productivity and focus. 
if you can try taking free, even just a mid-morning break and a mid-afternoon break for 15 or 20 minutes, again, away from your phone, away from the computer, without any big effort, that recovery cycle will pay you back in such dramatic ways. And then the third one is kind of predictably the down cycle at the end of the day, what I call the nighttime wind down. And that can look like a digital sunset where you turn your computer and your screens and everything off for like an hour before you go to bed. But I also just think of it as lowering everything, lower the lights in your house, lower the temperature in your house, lower your energy level and the volume level. Bringing everything down helps to trigger your nervous system to start to quiet. And you decelerate mentally and physically in ways that prepare your body to sleep. That when you try to do the thing most people do, unfortunately, which is be on their computer or on the Netflix binging hardcore stuff until the minute they fall asleep, they go to bed and then they can't fall asleep well. And it really, really diminishes the quality of sleep as well. Turn turn off the blue light, as they say. It is. But you know what? Here's something I want to say about that, Greg, because I think a lot of people focus on the light and biohacking is oftentimes all about the lights and the glasses. Even if there is no light involved, even if you're doing like a non-backlit screen or you're wearing the glasses, when you're clicking and swiping, you are sending your brain a series of messages that it's still in executive function mode, right? Click, Mm -hmm. swipe, click, swipe. When do you click and swipe? When you're being awake, when you're trying to work. And that your brain is wired up then to put you back into awake mode. So I encourage people not to interact with any devices, even their Kindles that are not lit up using a paper book, doing something like puttering around your house and doing a little cleanup so that when you wake up in the morning, it looks nice. Turning down your bed, doing your evening toilet, you know, I call it my evening ablutions slowly or by candlelight, having a nice cup of hot herbal tea. These are ritualized behaviors that send the body mind the right kind of signals. And they sound like simple things, but here's what happens. When you do one or two or three of these things on any given day, you're going to find that suddenly your eating choices improve. You're going to find that you notice when your body wants and needs to move. And it yep. won't feel like a workout. You'll just start doing those healthier things. It's kind well, of like everybody, magic. Everybody should get this book. Oh, um, thanks. No, it's it truly, you know, it's one of the best well-written, well-laid-out books. Um great opportunities to learn. You know, you talk about the continuous learner. Everybody Mm. needs to be a continuous learner. Uh, They need to go to thehealthydeviant.com. That's where you'll learn more about the book. Pilar, pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for being on and sharing with us and everything that you've done to make your contributions to the world. Thank you so much, Greg. Can I offer one more little tool for people if they'd like it? Sure. They can find out the extent to which they are currently a healthy deviant. I have a healthy deviant quiz that's at that website. If they go to healthydeviant.com slash quiz, or just go to healthydeviant.com and click on the quiz item in the menu. It's a free quiz. It's like 20 questions, but it also gives you a better idea about what healthy deviance is all about. It might be helpful to folks. Awesome. So go to her website and check out the quiz and then buy the book, go to Amazon and pick it up. Um, the great thing about like just having a physical book versus the, the PDF you were talking about electronic reader. I've been, you know, so many people have just done Kindle books. That's it. There's something about having a physical book to be able to sit in bed, sit on your sofa, take your highlighter, make notes, put your journal next to it. It's just a great thing to have. So thank you, Pilar, for everything you're doing. 
I appreciate you. Appreciate the work you day. Namaste Thank to you, you and have a wonderful Namaste. rest of your day. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> 